I would like, uh, and I appreciate you being here on a Wednesday night, listening to me. Thank you so much. It's a blessing to me, and I hope that whatever I say to you uh, folks this evening can bless you and somehow help you in your journey and your pathway in living for God. Um, we're going to get right into my uh, lesson or my message for you tonight, and, and our initial text is going to be Second Corinthians 3. Uh, verses 4 and 5. Our initial text comes from, uh, from Paul, who is, in this writing, is speaking about his and his fellow laborers' spiritual credentials. Um, he is specifically speaking in regard to their adequacy for a given purpose. So that's, that's the backdrop of, of what we're going to be reading. And at verse 4 it says, And such trust have we through Christ our, uh, to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency, our sufficiency, our ability, our sufficiency is of God. A New Living Translation, uh, I like it because it says it in a little more uh, common vernacular. It says not that we are sufficiently qualified in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency and qualifications come from God. So he's talking about adequacy of purpose. That's what he's talking about. And he's, he's admitting in this, in this scripture, uh, he's asserting that he is a limited being. He's a limited being. And I was, uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight is, or what I'm going to be talking about tonight is going to be rejoicing that we need to start rejoicing in our finiteness, in our limitations in the constraints of our natural life. And I was recently having a conversation, I believe it was with my lovely wife, that I remember certain things about my childhood. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, I remember things about my childhood just as you do and just as, as I would assume any adult does. And many of my early memories are of specific moments or specific experiences. Um, I, I remember whenever I was... Very young, I would go to work with my dad and on Falls River. And, and there's boathouses on Falls River. I'm going to share a few things with you. And the boat, a lot of the boathouses where the Jason had walls and went all the way down to the water. And they had doors on them. And, and I would, sometimes when I wasn't uh, doing some menial task that my dad gave me, I, I would slip into those boathouses and, and would fish. And, and the reason I would do that is because the water was illuminated from the outside, from the sun. And it was like looking into an aquarium. So I would take my fishing rod and, and my bait, and I would just put it down in front of the fish that I wanted to eat later. So it was, it was really unfair, but it was a great idea. And um, I have really fond memories um, about the times, the frequent times that I aggravated my siblings. I, I was really good at this, uh, especially my older brother, because I don't know if you know this, but older brother stuff is always better than your stuff. And whenever he would be off working or doing whatever he was doing, and I was home alone, um, I needed to discover what his stuff was, what his new stuff was. So I would go into his forbidden, the forbidden area, his room, and, and I would dig through his chest of drawers and look at my brother's stuff. And I know that y'all have probably done the same thing, so don't look at me like that. And it was... Uh, it was, that was, that was, I enjoyed that, and what made it even better is because I didn't hide my, what I was doing very well, and he would find out, 
and become very angry with me. And when he, that was even better. He would come home and he'd be angry with me. He'd call me BB Head. Apparently, you know, BB Head. That was my nickname for my brother. Apparently, it was a commentary on my intelligence. So I enjoyed that very much. And there's other moments of my life, moments at school and, 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 and times whenever I would explore. I, I grew up on 52 acres of property and most of it was wooded. And I would go out in the mornings. You, whenever I was a kid, parents still expelled their children to go outside. I don't know if y'all know how to do that now. We have iPads and, and all these devices. But I was told to leave the house and don't come back until I was hungry or until the sun went down. So I roamed 50 acres of property, about eight or nine years old, and I survived. So, so those are fond memories that I have, and, and I survived them, and, and I, I, I remember these things. And those are, you know, those are very pleasant memories, and we normally recollect, we, we, our mind goes back to, to very pleasant memories in, in our lives. But there are also recollections that aren't attached to specific moments. They aren't attached to specific moments. I believe that most adults can also recall their perceptions of reality from childhood. And this was the, the point of the conversation that I was having with my wife. We, we re, I think we can recall how we felt and how we thought and our, our perception of the world around us when we were very young. We perceive things, ladies and gentlemen, differently. We perceive them differently when we were children. We have to admit that if we're being honest, that not all of the experiences from our youth were pleasant. Most people endured some type of hardship or disappointment or trauma while they were very young. Children, however, are very mentally resilient. The very young can, can be faced with disappointment or difficulty and not completely lose their awe or their wonder at life, their future or the world around them. They can endure things and, and still look forward to their futures and, and still be in awe of the world around them. They can often experience strife and not be soured on life, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Why is that, though? I believe that it is because their perception, children's perceptions, are tethered to the potential in the unknown. Tethered to pot the potential in the unknown. They're, they're not dreading what's going to happen in the future necessarily. They, their minds naturally grasp at something positive that may happen in the future. I'm sure we can all recollect that feeling we had as children when we looked at the world around us, that perception of, of imminent discovery, that feeling that something wondrous awaited in that vague fog of the future. We remember that. In most young minds, there are very few limits. Life is still one long chain of wonder and discovery. The progression, however, into adulthood brings into focus the stark realities of the limitations and the weaknesses and the finiteness of the human condition. As we progress, as we get older, we, are, we become more aware that the world has parameters and, and that we have to abide by certain rules and, and we have to abide by laws and, and the structure of society. And, 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 and as we get older, this, this framework is erected around our consciousness and our, the way we think. 
We no longer can have that sense of wonder and awe necessarily. It's, it's stymied a little bit. It's diminished a little bit simply by the progression of years and of life and of responsibilities. Our minds as adults are weighted with the understanding of, of deadlines. The requirements of our professional careers, our professional positions, and and the serious responsibilities of family. We begin to think about these things a lot. They take up all of our time. At the end of the day, we're exhausted because of what we had to endure that day. That wonder isn't there as much anymore. Our awareness of the world around us begins to our awareness begins, we begin to perceive the parameters and the growing inflexible structure instead of limitless potential. Limits actually begin to define our world and our perceptions of it. We feel that little is left for true discovery. That's unfortunate. Our childish wonder it morphs into a quiet, mature appreciation. We can, of course, still appreciate beauty. It's, it's all around us. God's creation, it's beautiful. We can appreciate that. And we can still be moved to wonder. However, those moments are often tempered by a consciousness seasoned by experience. That sense of wonder and that sense of awe that, that we would have it's, it's finite. It runs up against the barriers of our perception of the world. Our lives become measurable. Our lives become measurable. And we begin to build walls based upon those measurements in our minds. We determine things and we, we quantify things and aspects of our lives Everything becomes measured against our resources or our time or our energy. And as we, as we measure our world around us, we begin building walls with those measurements. We begin to determine, like, I can't do this because it requires too much of me. It is at this point that our perception of our limitation becomes incrementally Negative. Little by little, we begin to resent the fact that we are restrained. We're constrained by the obstructions or the impediments of the natural condition of humanity. And you have to understand, when I say the natural condition of humanity, I'm going to go into this a little bit later, but responsibility is an adult thing. It's just part of life. It's necessary that we live within certain parameters. If we're to have a functional society, we have to. If we're to get along with our family and our in-laws and our in-laws, we have to have parameters and adhere to certain limitations. Our perception becomes calibrated to the finiteness of life becomes calibrated by the constraints of our finances. Becomes calibrated 
to the limitations of illnesses that enter our lives. I was, whenever I was very young, I was very active, and I was, I was somewhat athletic. I know that shocks you, but it, I was. But I've gone through three major surgeries in my life. I'm 47 years old. I've laid on the operating table for serious operations twice. One when I was 15 years old, and then again about three years ago. Some of you remember that. I was laying on a table three years ago, and I was still feeling relatively young until they showed me the size of the aneurysm that was on my aorta. It was the size of my fist. And the surgeon, a surgeon who performed three, sur- three heart surgeries a day, but all year, and only did five of mine, was not, a, was not in a humorous mood. I feel limited now because I understand that my life is literally held together by, by thread. They cut out a piece of my aorta, a very large piece of my aorta, and put in a, looked like a vacuum cleaner hose. I prayed to the Lord it wasn't. And they sewed it up on each end, and that's what I have. That's what the, my lifeblood's flowing through. That makes you feel limited. It puts some constraints on your life. Our minds become constrained or calibrated to our limits by the limits of our strength and the amplitude of our weakness. We at some point in our lives come to the realization of our finiteness. The finiteness, whenever, if you look for the definition of it, it means having bounds or limits, not infinite, measurable, subject to limitations or conditions as of space, time, circumstances, or the laws of nature. This gradual comprehension of our finiteness creates within us two unfortunate things. Two unfortunate things. And I hope to get you guys out of here pretty early tonight so y'all can look forward to that. So we look, what are the two things? The first thing is a sense of resignation. A mindset of lowered expectation. We resign ourselves to some diminished capacity for wonder awe and experience we look at the the limits around us and we just we resign ourselves to some diminished life it's as if we put on this weighted mantle that wars wars against the idea of unrestrained hope and unbridled life-changing supernatural power that can't exist we think sometimes to ourselves because look at my life look at the world around me look at the limits that are placed upon me it's as if we can't get beyond that. Wondrous potential can exist in our minds because we can clearly see the walls around us. Walls with the brick and mortar made from weakness and personal flaws. Our, our failures, our perceived social standing, our limited resources. And the ever-present specter of our pasts. All of these things at some point define the parameters of the box that we resentfully live within. We're going to learn in a few moments that although we may resent being in that box, that doesn't mean that we aren't meant to be there. The second thing that can happen is that some attempt to expand their existence by their force of will. They attempt to assert control. We like to control things, ladies and gentlemen, we really do. They determine within themselves that since they must live inside the box, this this restrictive box, they're going to make the rules within it. If they can't do it, 
then it can't be done. These individuals either outright reject God's influence or they will relegate him to the constraints of their own personal appreciation of power. Reality is, ladies and gentlemen, we are limited beings. We are. We are limited. And that's okay. We do have parameters around our lives. And that's okay. Because you and I, we know who our God is. We know who our God is. We are on a first-name basis with the architect of every celestial body that fills this universe. We know the name. We're on the first-name basis with our God. Yes, we live within a box of reality and the constraints on our lives. But we are tethered to, we are connected to a being that is not constrained by the box that we live in. And we sometimes forget that because we come, become so focused on the limitations of our lives that we project those limitations on the God that we serve. So we know who our God is. To, to say that God has the capacity to exceed the anemic dimensions of our little mind boxes makes the foolish assumption that we can measure His power, His grace, His love, or His reach. We can't even measure it. To put it simply, God exceeds. God exceeds. Ephesians 3, 17 through 20, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ and to know that love which surpasses our understanding, which, which reaches outside that box, that parameters of our limited life that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Paul is telling the Ephesians, he's telling the Ephesians that, that God is expansive. That he, unlike us, is not constrained by the restrictive fam- framework of our mortal existence. He's explaining to these people that their God is greater than the mud and muck of their lives. Although they have to walk in it, their God is greater and there needs to be a hope and an understanding and an appreciation that you're attached to something greater than you, greater than the parameters of your lives. Even our cannot plumb the depths or ascend to the heights of the Lord's limitless power that is at work within us. Even our imaginations cannot bring into reality or make us appreciate how great and expansive our God is. We're not meant to let our faith in God be defined by the finiteness of our physical lives. We must start to look at our limitations and our finiteness with joy and expectation. Because at the line which marks the edge of our capacity, 
at that line which marks as far as you can go in this physical world. That is where the power of God begins to be demonstrated. Yes, you have limitations. Yes, you are finite. But you go right to the edge of what you're capable of. And you look out. What you're going to see is the power and potential of God in that unknown place. The problem that we have is that we can't make that step outside of what we have grown to become accustomed to. We can't leave that. Because although we may resent it, we know it, Brother Jason. We can measure it. We can understand it. Faith requires risk. Living within that box does not. We need to start rejoicing in our finiteness, in our limitations. We need to face this fact and understand this. Our finiteness was designed into us. We were created as finite beings. We may resent the fact of our limitations. That box that we exist in may chafe us at times. We may not like it. We may not like the fact that we're given rules to live by or that we may face challenges in our lives. It may cause us a lot of consternation and and we may get a little frustrated and we may get a little angry. We may resent that fact. But when, God, when David wrote in Psalms 139 that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, he is describing finite human beings. Yes, we were fearfully and yes, we were wonderfully made. But we were made as finite beings. We observe this most clearly in the creation of mankind. God placed limits on Adam and Eve in the garden when he told them not to eat from the forbidden tree. We also see this example in the very fact that he created men and women differently. Adam needed Eve for creation to continue. We cannot replicate ourselves. We have limits. We bear God's image, but it is normal, it is normal for us to be limited in some capacity as his created beings. You see, we resent, we resent those parameters. But those parameters, ladies and gentlemen, those, that finiteness is there for a reason. And this truth elicits the question, Why? Why were limitations designed into us? And it is because we learn from our limits that God is God and we aren't. That's what those limits are there for. That's why why we are finite beings, because it brings to our attention that we're not God and that he is. Our finiteness brings into focus that we serve a God 
who has no limitations. Psalmist David wrote in Psalms 121 and 4, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He's not constrained by physical need. He's not constrained by deadlines. He's not constrained by physical weariness. He's not constrained by time. He does not get weak. When we are exhausted because of a long day, or we are emotionally exhausted because of the things we have to endure, He is not. When we're weary after the demands of our our careers, He keeps working on our behalf. When we face another day weakened by physical illness, He is never weary, nor is He defeated. When we despair over our inability to function without help, He is our rock and He is our sustainer. You can enumerate numerous things in your lives that cause you pain, that irritate you, that define your limitations, that bring to your mind, you can't do this. But if we can ever see on the other side of that, that we serve a God, that we're connected to a God that can maintain us when the times that we can't maintain ourselves. It changes your perspective on who God is. You begin to trust him a little more. You begin to rely on him more. You begin to appreciate him more. When we face another day weakened by physical illness, he's never weary and he's not defeated. That's something we have to remember. When we fail, when we fail, he stands ready to forgive us. When we stumble and when we fall, he gives us the strength to stand. The barrier of sin is met with his shed blood on Calvary. When we are gripped in fear, as we are reminded of our mortality, Jesus reminds us of a place that he has prepared for those who are in relationship with him. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What God tries to explain to us, even in, even in the moments of our mortality, whenever I was laying on that operating table, I remember most recently, I, 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 I didn't have any fear walking in to that room or, or being wheeled into that particular room. My wife was very distressed. And I take it that she was distressed because she kind of likes me. It gives me hope. But whenever I found out that I was literally moments from death and that this surgery had to be expedited. I didn't really, I wasn't really afraid because I know who I'm attached to. I know who I serve. I know who is within me. I laid on a very narrow table with my arms out to my side. It was freezing in that room 
And I knew within moments my chest was going to be split from here to here and it's going to be pulled open. And I really wasn't worried. I was making jokes and talking with the nurses around me. They thought it was a little disconcerting. But I live a different life. And so do you. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we look at the limitations of our lives, the finiteness of our lives, and we think that defines God as well. And it doesn't. Our finiteness, ladies and gentlemen, is instructive. It's instructive. Our limitations are in actuality pathways to the omnipotent. And that's how we have to begin to look at them. In truth, our fixed, limited capacities remind us of who God is. Immediately after the children of Israel exited the nation of Egypt, they were confronted with their inadequacy at the Red Sea. It happened immediately after they, were, they left Egypt. This obstacle was in reality an opportunity to re-engage with Jehovah. They had lived generations separated from their God. They had forgotten who he was. They had, been, they had been living within the parameters of a pagan society. And they assumed, they assumed the walls and the parameters and the limitations of that mindset and that mentality. They had forgotten who their God was. And after generations of idolatrous influence, the Israelites had lost their clarity associated with their creator. They had adopted customs and mentalities that crowded out the truth of the one God. But as they stared out at that impassable obstacle, and as they heard the chariots of their enemy pursuing them, they were suddenly aware of their finiteness. It was at this moment that God's strength was perfectly demonstrated in their weakness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, if Exodus 14, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians who ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Why were they instructed to stand still? Because the strength required to win that particular battle emanated from God and God alone. And they needed to be reminded of that. Sometimes when you're faced with your limitations, ladies and gentlemen, you need to stand still. You need to turn yourself toward God and see Him do what He does best as He delivers you in your life. Only when confronted with our definable boundaries and the reality of our weakness do we begin to look beyond ourselves. Our limitations and finiteness move our minds outward toward God. Sometimes we only look for God when we run into the walls of our lives. Sometimes that's the only time that we look for God. When we're in that frustrated place, when, we, when, we are, when we're slapped in the face by our, in, our inadequacies or our deficiencies, when we're standing there and we've done all that we can, that's the only times that we ever turn to God and say, all right, Lord, I need you to do something now. 
And, he's, and, and, and I feel that the Lord is just standing there saying, yeah, I was waiting for you to get to this point. You never looked at me until you got here. The truth is, sometimes it is only the discomfort and pain and realized boundaries of our strength of our lives, the strength of our lives, that we begin to see the reassuring, powerful presence of Jesus. This was illustrated by the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. Said this, and least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me at a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, least I should be exalted above measure. Paul is saying that he was given a constant reminder, a constant reminder of his limitation to prevent that elevation and focus, his personal elevation and focus on self. This thorn was meant to bring into focus his limitations. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it may depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We profess a relationship with God, and I I don't mean to minimize your relationship with God, but We profess this relationship with God. But we don't want to get to the point where we're weak. And we don't want to yield to him in those moments. Paul was a man who realized that although he was finite and that he was limited, God was not. Paul understood that his limitations were the doorway through which the supernatural was expressed. We must understand understand that this was a man acquainted with pain and hardship. This was not something new to him. This thorn must have been really difficult. We can read in 2 Corinthians, he said this about his experience of, of of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness peril and pain were known to this man his finiteness was intimately understood and yet he embraces this profound truth when i am weak then i am strong when i can't go anymore that's when the power of god begins to move through me when i can't take another step that's when i feel the presence of god When I can't move anymore, when I've given it all that I can, that's when I feel that reassuring touch of his spirit. Paul's strength did not emanate from his mortal body or his personal capacities, and he was a substantial person. It was at the limits of his humanity, at the limits of his humanity, that the expression of God's defying power became most obvious. It was only when his personal strength was exhausted 
did he begin to realize where his true strength originated. As I said a few moments ago, Paul was a substantial individual. He was very well educated. He was resilient and doggedly persistent. And yet this thorn in his flesh tormented him. He prayed for it to be removed, but it was allowed to remain. So that he would be reminded of his finiteness. And so he could function at a higher level. In his calling. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. Verse 9, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities than the power of Christ may rest upon me. Or in other words, so that the power of Christ can work through me. You, ladies and gentlemen, have to be a specific instrument. You have to be a conduit, conduit unencumbered by self if you want to see God move through you. The truth is that we should never underestimate what God is able to accomplish through the persistent pain in our lives. Our finiteness can also be the place for the exhibition of God's grace. How is this? We cannot earn the providential care of the Lord. When we are faced with our limitations, we have no intrinsic right to demand His assistance or help. We receive strength through His unmerited favor. Our deficiencies acknowledge the preeminence of God's grace and power. When, when we come up against those barriers in our lives, when we stand there in need, without the ability to change our circumstances, we then can turn and are encouraged to turn to the Lord. We do not, however, then say to God, help me because I've earned it. He simply says, here is my help and strength because I love you. Our limitations are the conduit through which the power and presence of God is revealed to this world. We often desire to have a more dynamic relationship with God. We want a more dynamic connection to God. We long for the expressions of His might in our lives. But we want these expressions and these demonstrations to remain within our control. We have this persistent tendency, even as we are in relationship with the Lord, to inadvertently project onto Him the limitations of our minds. We try to extend the walls of our diminished expectations around God. We want Him to conform to the parameters of our measurable existence. If He wants to express His majesty, that's fine. Then He can do it by our prescribed method. We must realize that the dynamic, spiritually vigorous relationship with Jesus that we profess we want is acquired in the places that only faith can take us. In only the places that you have no control. We often reject out of fear the pathway of a pathway to godly connection because its path crosses the threshold of our weakest moments. 
But it is in those times when we must acknowledge our deficiencies and become dependent on Him that we will begin to move and experience His his power and presence. There needs to be an understanding that it is in the void that extends beyond the point where our faculty and ability ends that Jesus moves most intensely on our behalf. This principle is revealed throughout Scripture. The Word of God is filled with men and women who witness the might and providential care of God in the places outside of their control. Gideon was a man so fearful of the Midianite harassment that he threshed wheat and hid it just to have enough food to survive. He was a man who fully understood his finiteness and his limitations. When he was confronted and engaged by the angel of the Lord, he he confessed his obvious inadequacy, detailing his lack of credentials. Judges 6, 14 through 16, you'll read it in the King James. I'm going to read it in the New Living. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have. Go with the strength you have. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon threshed wheat by a wine press, fully cognizant of his weakness and perceived deficiencies. This man's awareness of his personal limitations and his appreciation of his circumstances caused him to adapt. And this is a dangerous place to be. His behavior conformed to his reality because he was focused on the Midianites and his finiteness. So he created an existence within those parameters, never looking outside to God. He learned, ladies and gentlemen, to get by. He accepted, he accepted a diminished existence. His solution was based upon his fallible, limited nature. It did not include the presence of God. Therefore, his solution was as limited as he was. It did not extend beyond survival. God does not want you just to survive. This apprehensive, tentative, limited man was exactly the person needed to demonstrate to Israel the reach and power of their Lord. The transformation from weakness into strength began in a frightened, obscure man just trying to get by. It culminated in Israel being liberated and Gideon being one of the most beloved judges in his era and era and one of the most well-known individuals in the Bible. We're still talking about this man thousands of years later, that guy that hid behind the wine press just to survive. Gideon came to understand the truth revealed to Paul many generations later. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. God explained, God explained to Gideon the strength that you have is all the strength that you're going to need because God was with him. Gideon did not need the strength to carry a shield or or the skill needed with a sword, nor did he need the martial abilities of a seasoned warrior. That's not what he needed. That's not where his strength lied. He only needed the strength to light a candle, to lift and break a pitcher, 
and to blow a blow horn. That's all the strength he needed. God did the rest. All you have to do is what you can do. And let God do the rest. I'm going to finish. I'm bringing it in for a landing. And I'm not like others. I'm coming to a landing right now. Your weakness is not an obstacle for your God. Your finiteness does not disqualify you from being used by the Lord. Your limitations do not limit him. They are simply the access points for the miraculous. We as children of God need to stop looking around us in despair at the walls of our finite, limited existence. And we need to start remembering who's on the other side of those boundaries. We need to acknowledge our finiteness, but allow some of that youthful wonder back into our lives because we serve a limitless, awesome God. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, tonight. We're thankful for the word that you've given us for the pathway, Lord Jesus, that you've laid out before us, dear God. And we pray that you will help us embrace that unknown place, Lord Jesus, to yield our limited, finite lives into your hands, Lord Jesus, so that we can see the wonder of what you plan for, what, for our lives. In your precious and holy name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come back Sunday. God bless you.